When Ellen died, I lost everything. Until that dog arrived on my doorstep. A final gift for my wife. In that moment, I received some semblance of hope. And your son took that from me. Stole that from me. Killed that from me! People keep asking if I'm back. And I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Operation. We don't need bigger knife. Welcome to Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. To him, this isn't vengeance. This is justice. Hosted by Justin. You wanted me back. I'm back. Jacob. Are you here on business, sir? Afraid so, Francis. And Arnie. You look good. And here I'd feared you'd left all this behind. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. So I guess you have a choice. Do you want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Listener discretion is advised. Let's go. Today we're discussing John Wick, Chapter 2, still not based on a book, <laughs> starring Keanu Reeves, Common, Lawrence Fishburne. I protest, it is not starring Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> <laughs> Lies. Ricardo Samarcio, Ruby Rose, John Leguizamo, Ian McShane, directed by Chad Stahelski. This is Arnie, your now-playing co-host who's a man of focus, of commitment, of sheer fucking will. This is Death's Very Emissary and Podcaster, Jacob. This is Justin. And a fucking pencil! Again with the pencil. I thought about you with the pencil. <laughs> hey, we see the pencil this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we are back with John Wick Chapter 2, a big fucking movie weekend though right i mean 50 shades darker there was no chance of us ever covering it but <laughs> well come on there's a third one coming out we'll, we'll get it on the trilogy wow. <laughs> and then lego batman oh don't even bring that up people are mad we're not doing that one <sighs> it's a good movie too actually i went and saw oh, it before saw it. i saw john wick <laughs> i did a double feature thursday night i saw a 5 p.m lego batman and a 7 p.m john wick and Lego Batman was a long movie, so I actually had to rush into John Wick, I went into the restroom in between, and there's a guy in there talking to another guy. Well, I'd hope they'd all be guys in a men's room, but one said, oh, you had a good idea. Yeah, we can't miss a frame of this movie, so we need to use the bathroom before so we don't have to get up during, and I'm like, and the other one goes, yeah, we only have one time seeing this the first time. I'm like, God, these guys are really excited for Lego Batman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they walked into John Wick. These guys were so excited for John Wick, they had to, as in his words, squeeze out what drops he could, end quote, <laughs> so that he wouldn't miss a frame of Wick. It was a packed theater. Our, my theater didn't expect it. They shoved us in a back corner. Lego Batman had the four big screens. Fifty Shades Darker had, like, two medium screens. I was on one screen in a corner with John Wick in a very full theater, though. Yeah, I was surprised. I went Thursday night as well, thinking... 
oh, it's Thursday night, people have work, kids are in school, no one's going to be here. I'm going to take a selfie like Arnie does when he's at Resident Evil or at Ghostbusters (laughs) 2016 of an empty theater. Nope, I get there and go to buy the ticket. And they're like, oh, this is reserved seating, pick a seat. And there are very few seats to pick from. It's probably, you know, three quarters full. I was shocked. Wow. I I didn't go until Friday night and... I, I would have expected a little bit more of, you know, a crowd than a Thursday night like you guys, but I was shocked to find my theater packed to the brim. And it was on one of the bigger screens. I mean, I go to a theater that has 18 screens and varying sizes. They have a huge IMAX, then they have a couple huge auditoriums and a few medium and then a few small. This was in one of the medium ones that was just packed and, you know, reserved seating. So I picked something kind of up close, but not too close in the middle. And of course, I got sat down by two individual dudes on either side of me, which was just kind of <laughs> awkward. That's what happens when you go alone. That's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there was a huge crowd and a lot of dudes laughing throughout this movie. Yeah, they predict Lego Batman is going to easily win the weekend with John Wick coming in third behind Fifty Shades Darker. But every story I'm hearing is that this is full theaters. Jason, who does some of our social media, texted me. He went on a Friday morning to a full theater. I think John Wick may surprise people. It is some smart counter-programming. You got the women's movie. You got the kids movie. The dads are all going to go see John Wick. (laughs) I think you nailed it right there. It's perfect counter-programming. And this was really kind of rushed. If you think about it, only two and a half years ago, October of 14, John Wick hit theaters, and that was a rushed production. The script was bought in February, and the movie was out in October. That almost never happens. That's what happens when you got Eva Longoria behind you, though. (laughs) Push that through. (laughs) But after the success of this film, you know, those two guys who worked on the last ones, Stahelski and Leach, they were still doing second unit stuff, you know, working on Civil War and these other films. And so they had to finish up some of that, but they were being pushed for a sequel. They started the sequel in January of 15, came up with a lot of story ideas, but just didn't nail it. And so even though the studio wanted the next John Wick movie out, possibly as quick as 15, Leech went off. He's no longer co-directing. He's now working on Deadpool 2 and some other projects. But Stahelski waited with the original screenwriter, until they felt they really nailed the story. So it came out when it did. And this is supposed to be taking place just two weeks after the other. Oh, okay. I guess that makes some more sense. I wasn't sure what the timeline was. Yeah, I I did notice the registration tag was still 2014 at one point. So I I was guessing it was pretty soon after the first film. Unless they just drive around with expired registration. (laughs) That cop doesn't even seem to care when John Wick kills people. You think he's going to give him a ticket for <laughs> expired tags? True. That kills me, though. That cop who barely had a scene in the light in the first movie is somebody I recognize because he was on Aaron Sorkin's newsroom from HBO. So I recognized him last time. I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny to get an actor like that for a throwaway two-line role. They brought him back. Same guy. This time around, I was like, okay, that's dedication to a part, I guess. And based off one film, this Thunder Road Pictures has huge hopes for John Wick. They were coming up with script ideas, and the writer, Derek Kolstad, was coming up with ideas and saying, what about this for the one? And then Thunder Road and Stahelski are like, let's save that idea for the fourth movie. 
Yeah, I, I could tell they got their minds on other movies just from watching this film. Uh, we'll get into it, but I, I feel like they drop a lot of things to be continued later. Stahelski said he wanted this to be like Star Wars. Like in the first Star Wars, you hear of Jabba the Hutt, you hear of the Emperor, you hear of the Senate. And then in later films, you're like, oh, that's what they were talking about. So here we have the High Table and the Bowery King and a lot of stuff that if this film does well and then they may be able to explore further in future wicks. Ah, a wish fulfillment, I guess we'll talk about as we get into it, I guess. <laughs> well, then let's get into it. Arnie, give us a plot. Well, as I said, it's been about two weeks since the original John Wick, and with a new dog and his recovered car, Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, tries to return to his quiet civilian life. But it's not to be. He's visited at home by Santino D'Antonio, a man played by Ricardo Samarcio, who helped John on his impossible night when he got out of that business. For that help, John gave Santino a marker that is now being called. Oh man, Arnie, they're setting up prequels too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it. (laughs) Santino's sister Gianna is about to take a seat at the high table, and Santino wants that seat. So John goes to Rome to kill her, but she kills herself first, and yet John is now a target. First, Gianna's bodyguard Cassian, played by Common, wants to avenge his ward. Also, Santino wants to tie up loose ends, so he sent his mute assassin Ares to kill John, Ares played by Ruby Rose. When she fails, Santino puts a $7 million bounty on John's head, and when Wick returns to New York, every assassin is literally gunning for him. A subway fight with Cassian leaves the bodyguard stabbed, but Wick allows him to live. Desperate, Wick turns for help to the Bowery King, a crime lord played by Lawrence Fishburne. With his aid, Wick tracks Santino to a museum, which Wick infiltrates. Wick kills Ares, but Santino escapes to the Continental Hotel, where no bloodshed is permitted. But John breaks that rule, shooting Santino in the head. The next day, John is summoned to see Winston, the manager of the Continental, played by Ian McShane. Winston says Wick has been declared excommunicado, he no longer has access to any of the protection or services of the hotel, and the bounty on Wick has gone worldwide. Wick flees with his dog by his side, fearing assassins everywhere, as credits roll. Arnie, you you skipped like the first 20 minutes of this film. This has the ending for John Wick in it. I didn't realize that John Wick never got his Mustang back. (laughs) But that's where we're going to pick up. He's going to go back to those Russians and perhaps in the best action sequence in this film gets his car back. Yeah, they start this off with some aerial shots of New York City. And I absolutely love that city. I've said it on so many shows. I'm going to be there two days after this podcast gets out. So I was really paying attention to the city all in Manhattan. Do they project movies on the side of skyscrapers in New York? Actually, what happened there was the director was scouting locations and people at the film school there were projecting movies on the sides of buildings. And he went up and said to the guy who was doing it, as like an art project, I'm going to steal your shit, and decided to do it. He's projecting a Buster Keaton film. Yeah, I figured it was Buster or Chaplin. Yeah, he's doing this to tell us that we're not supposed to take this entirely seriously, that there's going to be some physical comedy and people enduring things they never could in real life here. Yeah, this is going to be a slapstick, gruesome, violent film is what he's telling us. Yeah, I I don't know if I go with slapstick, but yeah, it's going to be tongue-in-cheek. You get this 
car accident in this Buster Keaton film happen, and then you see this motorcycle go skidding out from the street because John Wick is after someone. Again, this t- this is the right tone for me. This got a smile out of me. I, I like this juxtaposition. It's really throwing you in. I'm like, is Wick on the motorcycle? Is Wick in the car? Because both guys have somewhat scraggly beards, and they don't really show us either's face. I can't decide if Wick's on the run or Wick's giving chase. I think that's purposeful, but that was confusing to me because he doesn't have his car yet, yet for someone like me who's not a huge car guy, especially an old muscle car guy, I assumed that was John Wick with his original car. But apparently it wasn't. No, that's the one he, the Continental gave him for his troubles with Perkins. No, this looked like an old muscle car. The one they gave him was like a, a more modern Camaro or something. Okay, I, I assumed it was the same one. Look, I didn't even remember he didn't get his original car back in that film. We didn't even bring that up, but they're, they're going to bring that point up here. He's going after this guy on the motorcycle to get a key card so he could go after Peter Stormare playing, what, Vigo's brother? Yeah, Abram Tarsov. And I love Stormare as a Russian. Like, Oh, look, yeah. Armageddon, <laughs> my favorite part. This is how you fix a Russian space station. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> He's great. He's He shows up in so much stuff, and he was a lot of fun here. And I was trying to figure out what was going on because you've got this chase and then when Wick gets the motorcycle guy, I mean, he got in front of him somehow, just flips him and he steals this like gold card out of his jacket. I'm like, what is it? What is it? He's just badging it to work. It's his work yes. badge. <laughs> At first, I thought they changed the currency. They're no longer going with gold coins. Now they're going with these Visa cards or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this whole beginning is almost a false setup because, I mean, we get a lot of establishing shots of whatever this Russian gang is doing is dealing with stealing taxis that are transporting drugs and cases. Gold coins. We're going to see those gold coins show up at the Continental with Winston. Yeah, they're setting something up for three or four or five or episode one. I'm not sure. Actually, they cut something out of here. There was an entire subplot where... Santino was also trying to control all the gold coin trafficking in North America. And there was some more that was going to happen with John Leguizamo and all of this and Winston. And they just decided it slowed the movie down. And this is not a short movie as it is. No, it's about 20 minutes longer than the original. But when you see all these scenes of like how the gold coins are made and wonder why John Leguizamo even bothered showing up here, (laughs) it's because there were some cut scenes. Yeah, I figure they were setting up a whole, like, counterfeit gold coin thing or something that we'll see in a third film. Because, yeah, they spend a lot of time. The Russians are sitting there. They're trying to hide everything because they know Wick is coming because his car is on the premises. And then we're going to see later on Winston, like, checking out those coins saying, oh, very fine artistry here. So I, I thought they were setting something up. I guess it was cut to be determined in future films. But look, here is the best action scene in the film. Wick going to that Russian garage to get his car. I think I like this more because they drop a lot of the gun work and you go with more martial arts. I I don't know if it's quite kung fu, but it's very MMA and I'm impressed (laughs) by it. And you get a lot of, I'll call it car foo. Wick driving around in taxis and his Mustang, like, beating people up with cars. I love when he's sneaking around and he grabs the guy from behind with the cigarette and shoves the cigarette in his mouth. And you see, like, the embers and then he knocks him down and the cigarette gets spit out. Yeah. And while this is all happening, that Abram Tarsov is telling 
the stories again about Wick. If you haven't seen the first movie, Abram's going to be here to set it all up. And he's got his aide there like, we're giving everything up for a car. It's not just a car. It's John <laughs> Wick's car. And the guy just goes, oh. And that got like oh. a huge <laughs> laugh from my audience. They were just, they knew exactly what that meant. And they was like, yeah, yeah, I heard about him with a pencil. With a fucking pencil. <laughs> yeah, I love, you get like the, the giant Russian coming out. Wick finally pulls out the gun and just shoots him in the knees. I totally had like Street Fighter 2 on the brain in this movie. Because I'm like, that's Zangief. Zangief <laughs> so showed I. up. I said the same thing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this whole opening scene is also worrying me because I'm like, oh, they got to top this. Like, that's what you do in a movie. Like, you do your best stuff last. And this stuff is so good. I'm like, they should have thrown this. This should be the end. Do a, a fan cut and put all the stuff at the end of John Wick. And you'll get a much stronger recommend from me because this is such a good opening action scene. Yeah, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I mean, it's all a lot of this is in the dark and we're seeing a lot of the fight is above this puddle of water that just happens to be on the floor. So you're getting a nice reflection there, but it's almost like a, a sheen of glass on that floor. But yeah, I mean, we get very little gunplay, like you said. The only gunshots really were to take out Zangief at the knee. <laughs> the rest of it was all kind of stealth and done by car wrecks. Yeah, and I couldn't believe he beat up his Mustang so much for... Uh, he's, I know. <laughs> he's going through a lot of trouble to steal a car. He's going to immediately totally in trying to get the car. It's a very Pyrrhic victory. Yes. Wasn't sure what his plan was there. Maybe he should have taken another car, killed everybody with it, and then took his. <laughs> yeah, I do think he was planning on just driving out. But what surprises me, John Wick doesn't want to stay a hitman. Like, he approaches Abram. He pours drinks. I'm like, oh, he's going to give him his last shot of vodka and then kill him. But no, he makes peace. He lets Abram live, and he somehow gets that Mustang to start up and drive away. I wondered if it was going to start. I mean, this movie, he is not afraid to have some comedy like that, and it is choking to start. I'm like, is he just, after all that, not able to drive it out? But it does eventually, the engine catches, and... He drives home, and then we get our opening credits. All this big fight was before the opening credits, and they're kind of going James Bond, aren't they? It's like this close-ups of the coin with the music going. It's not very long, and there's no naked ladies, but... I'm thankful it wasn't very long, because I'm like, what is what is this opening? It, it almost reminded me of that 3D Final Destination, where they just had stuff float during the opening credits. <laughs> Did this get a 3D release? This seemed like they were floating stuff for people with these. No, opens. this was a 2D only film. Thank goodness, because it wasn't even IMAX. I actually didn't have to travel like four hours to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, these credits are almost as confused as this movie is as far as what it wants to be. The first movie started off, like we spoke about, kind of slow. I mean, it was a mystery of to who this man was and what was going on for the first half hour or so. Now we know who John Wick is, so there's none of that mystery, and it feels like it's sliding more into a traditional espionage, almost, type of film. But that's not what he is. He's a paid assassin. So they're kind of trying to walk that line. That's what I thought. I'm going to get confused. Where I thought the last one, it didn't explain a whole lot, but it's easy enough to understand this one. They're going to try to expand the mythology and, and recede and hinted at with this opening credit with this weird medallion. And I just don't think it's as clear. But I do like 
you know, we get Aurelio show up and he's just like confused. He <laughs> gives like a what a thirty year timeline to fix this car. Like, why would you even fix it at this point? It's only thirteen years, Jacob. I know it still feels okay. like we're in the year two thousand, but it's twenty seventeen. <laughs> Those were happier times, yes. <laughs> and I'm laughing. John Leguizamo, always good. I don't know if you noticed, but you have a crack in your windshield. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and I do love that like John goes and buries everything like that hole that he banged open under the concrete with that sledgehammer <laughs> I thought this was funny like he buries his guns buries the coin actually lays the cog does some masonry <laughs> and, I, and I'm like oh this is going to be a good joke because something's going to happen where he's going to have to dig all this stuff yes. up right away I it doesn't so but it's a shame they didn't do that joke. <laughs> and we get here at the maudlin scenes. We see some of those same flashbacks with his wife, Helen. I think the reason he's wanted the car back is it had a birthday card in it with a photo of him and his wife. I don't think he wanted the car. I think he wanted the card because he kisses it and sniffs it. And he's got his dog still. I mean, again, it's only been two weeks, but that pit bull's still hanging around, sleeping on the wife's side of the bed. With get... no name. No, he does not name the dog. It's... <laughs> So we'll just call it dog throughout this. It's only been two weeks. I've taken longer to name some of my puppies. My dad took longer to name some of his kids, so. <laughs> that, that was a pretty good running bit, though. Everybody, a couple times they asked him, does the dog have a name? Nope. They gave me a chuckle both times. But now see if you guys followed something here, because. No, I'm just going to say no. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> John is visited at his house by Santino. And Santino says, and this is a quote I wrote down, no one gets out and comes back without repercussions. So it's like because John went ballistic on Vigo and his son last film, that that's what got Santino to come here today. But Santino has this marker. We're going to find out Santino did something the night John did his impossible task for Vigo. John has given him this marker, which is kind of cool. It's a bloody thumbprint inside what looks like a giant pocket watch. That's why he's calling on this marker. But I read some interviews with the writer, the director. They wanted to say that, like, once you're out, you're out. But if you peer back from behind the bushes, then you're back in. I don't know that that was ever really explained or makes any sense. No, they're setting up rules that they are going to... They set up rules in the last film that they're going to break here. It's very frustrating for me. Yeah, Santino says, oh, because you came back, now you have to do this thing. But later on, he's going to say, I, I could have made you do this thing any time because I have this blood oath from you. I have your bloody fingerprint. So it's... Maybe it caught his attention... And he knew John Wick was still around and still had it because he came out of retirement. But th this isn't a punishment. This isn't a rule. Like, so, yeah, I don't get the line. The way I took it was is they didn't make that overtly clear because they didn't really follow it up much. But that's the way I took it is since he came out of retirement, now he can call his marker due. But... You know, maybe he wasn't going to as a kind of a gentleman's or... He says he wasn't going to. Right, as a professional courtesy. He said he was going to let him live his life. Exactly. So, I mean, this motivation here, to me, hurts the legend of John Wick a little bit. I like the idea of the marker. That's cool. I don't know if I'm necessarily down with the idea of now thinking that Santino helped John Wick with his impossible mission. That just kind of takes away from the lore of John Wick. I disagree, because last time we had Willem Dafoe helping him out, I think 
that the fact that he has these alliances and that he has people helping him quiet in the shadows, you know, everybody thinks it's just John Wick, just one man, but he's always had help. He had help against Vigo. He had help on the impossible task. It's going to make the end of this film that much stronger that he's going to have no help. Yeah, if they had set the character up more that way, we saw Willem Dafoe's character help him a little bit in that last film. Help him a lot, I guess. He he does save him from actually being killed towards the end. But I I guess if they would have set that motif up a bit stronger, that this was someone that was badass, but he always had people helping him out. And yeah, so at the end, when he's on his own, ooh, that's really scary. I just don't think they set that up. Yeah, it does take it away a little bit because, you know, what's next? It's going to be a mechanical pencil he used and not just a regular pencil to kill three people. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could give it, you know, either way. It just, it, to me, immediately, that's kind of where in my brain I set the legend of John Wick as this ghost story because of the impossible mission. And now to find out that he was helped, uh, but maybe it was something as simple as he gave him a gun to help out in a search situation. So, and we don't know what the impossible mission was. And, we don't even know what Santino was asking when he shows up with this marker. I, John never asks. And I'm thinking, you know, he may just need help moving. You don't know what he's asking here. I, I figured he wants a hit. He wants someone dead. <laughs> but I'd at least ask. I don't think it's driving the U-Haul. If somebody comes to me and says, do you want a million dollars to do a job? I'm at least going to say, what's the job? Right. But I, I knew... The house was gone as soon as, you know, Wick turns down the job and Santino's like, nice house you have here. I'm like, oh, this is what they're taking away from him in this film. I saw him get these canisters. I thought maybe they were gas. They're these explosive rounds that he fires into the house. John's thrown free of the blast. And I'm like, did they just kill another fucking dog? (laughs) I know you do not see that dog at first. But they burn up the pictures of him and his wife. That's what they're taking away from him here is not just his house, but they do linger on those photos. I guess Wick doesn't use the cloud to back up his photos. So those perhaps are gone forever. (laughs) He has iCloud. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, especially because he keeps watching that video. He returned the video in this one. And yeah, I hope he has a backup. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't obviously updated his device in a few years. So who knows? I don't not sure if he does have backup. Well, it is 2014 still, so that may have been cutting edge. What do you guys think of destroying the house? I know they have to take something away from John to motivate him to a degree, but to me, he never felt sentimental about that house. We never had any instances or flashbacks of him and his wife being happy in that house. It just felt like a place for him to crash ever since the beginning of the first movie. Uh, You know, again, it's not like taking away his car. We we saw what he did because they took away his car. He's not going to do that because they took away his house. But I I got it. They do enough flashbacks of him and his wife there and show enough pictures that this is a loss. Again, it's not at the same level of losing his new puppy and his car from that first film, though. Yeah, I mean... I got the fact that he's very ritualistic. He was sleeping on his side of the bed. He still had a second cup of coffee out, not filled, but a coffee cup out every morning. He had his wife's necklace by the bed. Taking this away continues to erode at the life he had with her. And so I could see that as being a bit of a motivator. They're not going to play it up, though, either. It's not going to be like, he took my house, now he must die. There's no big speech 
were about how you burned down my house and took away the memories of my wife like he gave for the dog in the last movie. No, you're right. And this is the last piece of his former life as well. So now he is a man without a country, essentially. It's a man and his dog and his cars in the shop. Did he walk all the way back to the Continental? I did kind of laugh. I don't know the geography of Jersey and New York, but it does seem like him and his dog like walked all bloody and covered in ash. <laughs> he was there with Jimmy the cop at first, and they, I don't know, maybe he got a cab, maybe he called an Uber, but <laughs> he does head right back to the Continental and back to Winston, and this is exciting because that was some of the best stuff last movie. I want to know more about this underworld of assassins that like have their own hotel, their own clubs, everything. So he goes there and now it's making me feel like Winston is not just the manager of the hotel, but this arbiter of all assassins everywhere. He's examining those gold coins and Wick is gone to find out what his options are. And Winston's like, you have no options. Dishonor the marker, you die. Kill the holder of the marker, you die. You run, you die. There's two rules you have to live by. No business on the Continental, and you got to honor the marker. Very important that you follow these two rules. That's going to be bullshit by the end of this film. Mm, <laughs> we'll say. Perhaps. And once he does what Santino asks, then Winston says, go after him, burn his house down. Be my guest. But you have to do what he says, and what he says is kill my sister. Yeah, their father has died. Santino and Gianna, who are siblings, their father has died. He was some kind of crime lord who sat on some UN of crime lords. <laughs> and she was given the seat and Santino wants it. So he has to have Gianna killed, but you can't kill your own sister. So that's why he wants Wick. He could. I don't think it's a rule. He just said he can't because he loves his sister. So he could never kill her himself. But he can call this marker to have the world's best assassin and go do it for him. Yeah, I think it just looks cleaner if, if you're not involved in the death for that position you want. And, you know, he has the marker, so why not use it? Um. But yeah, this high table they discuss, I mean, there's 12 seats. There's the Chinese, the Russians. Like He wants that seat, and we're never going to see this high table. We're never going to find out what it is, but to me, it sounds like the Illuminati of assassins, you know, like... This is where I start getting confused because I figure this is all about assassins. But when they mention, especially the Russians, I'm like, wait, are these mafia people? Is this like a crime world and hitmen? The last film, it was a hitman versus a Russian mafia. And I felt that was pretty clean. Now you're expanding the mythology. Again, it's it's not overly confusing, but I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. Are, are these gangsters against the hitmen? Do they use the hitman? Do they support them? It's not very clear, and they're not going to clear it up by the end. Right. The way I took it is it's just, you know, all these hitmen, for the most part, are just individual actors. You know, not necessarily working directly for a person. Maybe sometimes they do. I mean, we'll see later on, Cassian is the right-hand man to Gianna, but he obviously has a history with John Wick. So, yeah, I think the bigger picture is it's an underground crime world, and these assassins are free agents in that crime world. You say there's an underground world, but I'm wondering, is there an overground world? I don't see any regular life occurring anywhere in these movies. By the end of this, that will become a question. Is everyone in New York a hitman? <laughs> I read a theory. This was on Reddit, so take it what it's worth. 
that this is all in the Matrix. Oh, God. <laughs> Remember at the end of The Matrix 2 where Neo is told, hey, you've tried to revolt against the machines a million times before. You've had a million lives before. It all keeps coming to this. Somebody on Reddit is like, this is one of them. This is Neo before the one. I literally thought at the end of this, Winston was going to pull a Morpheus and like make everyone stop. You know, that scene with the lady in the red dress <laughs> yes. in the first film. Like, there's a scene like that. I'm like, oh, shit. They are in the Matrix. Everyone's going to freeze. But it doesn't quite go that way. And that's exactly what's wrong with the Matrix. Because literally every movie could be part of the Matrix series. It's just an experiment <laughs> that the program ran. But that's... And the flaw in the Matrix is Kevin Bacon. It's the connection between all the programs. Is he the one in Kevin Bacon's Neo? <laughs> he always comes back. But what I love is Santino gives this big speech about the table, about the job, about needing Wick, and he just asks Wick what he says, and... Keanu just walks off, and as I understand it, Wick had long speeches in the original screenplay, and Keanu just came in with a pen and was like, no, I'm just going to stare at this guy instead of saying all this. I can say all this in a look, and I think he pulls that off. I Yo, it's much more effective. I was going to say, in that first John Wick film, he has maybe 20 lines, like, he barely says anything, and this film was longer. I'm like, oh, I hope that he doesn't start talking. That's the last thing I need from Keanu. And, <laughs> no, after he takes the job from Santino, he goes, and this is the stuff in the Wick universe that I love. He goes to this bank run by Orthodox Jews. They they got all you know the filaments and all of that, like very Orthodox looking. And he goes and gets a safety deposit box with another black outfit and a gun and some coins. You know, he he can't get in through the rubble of his house, so he can't dig back <laughs> up what he just buried. But he's got this giant. It's not like any safety deposit box I've ever seen. I couldn't tell if it was a. It looks like a briefcase. Or, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I love the way, like, he just does that scream, like, to show his frustration. You don't have to... It's enough emoting from Keanu that I get what he's going through. He doesn't want to do this, but he's got to go to Rome, which I guess is why he puts on a black turtleneck, because he's got to go European now. <laughs> I just took that as he put this go box or emergency box away so long ago that turtlenecks were in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took it as a European thing, but... <laughs> This just felt like a direct callback to old James Bond films. The black turtleneck under a blazer is that look from the 60s. And I think maybe that's all they were trying to do here was a visual joke calling that back. And he looks like a doof for a good portion of this movie while he's wearing <laughs> he that. Does. I'm so happy when he gets the collar shirt back on. <laughs> I never noticed this. I never noticed anything looking silly, but... We talked last film about how it was somewhat confusingly edited. We thought the dance club was in the Continental and all of that. There are some montages here that also confuse me a little bit. Twice we're going to see John Wick doing a whole bunch of things that I guess he did A, B, C, D, but we're going to see them all jumbled up. And it's going to start when he gets here to Rome. He's going to go to a bookstore where he can examine the catacombs. He's going to go see the wine sommelier at the Continental. It's a franchise, the Continental <laughs> of Rome. Yeah, they, they got their own manager over there, Julius. Yeah, this is worldwide. And I again, I like that idea. I like that he wouldn't give him the... Everybody got a big laugh when Julius is like, are you here for the Pope? And Wick says no. <laughs> yeah, that is like the best line of this film. <laughs> but I wasn't confused by this editing. I actually like this because I feel outside the first, again, 
I couldn't look at my watch because the theater was actually full, so I felt bad if I was pulling out my phone to check times on here, but I feel like the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, that opening scene was great, and I feel like we've been lagging a bit, so I like the way they intercut everything here between getting the guns, looking at the plans, getting a new suit, like he walks into what looks like a Chinese labor camp, almost <laughs> drops a coin and goes and gets fitted. It reminded me, if you saw that A-Team film, like where they'd intercut the actual mission with them making plans it just feels more dynamic here i'll agree with that what confused me though is i saw him go to a bookstore and then he went to the chinese labor camp then he got the suit (laughs) so i thought he was getting the suit at the bookstore so that's where i was just like it it took me a second to catch up as for the suits i mean i like the tailor i like you know how many buttons to legs tapered lining tactical but yet, yes. doesn't it feel like they're ripping off Kingsman a little bit? Kingsman kind of did this first. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, when I was talking last week about films that I liked more, the Crank films or Shoot 'em Up or, yeah, Kingsman, The Secret Service, where it's just more tongue-in-cheek, but this one feels like a ripoff. It's like, you're going to have a magical suit now that stops bullets. See, you say that this is unbelievable. To me, this feels like they've gone full video game now. He has a suit where if you get shot with a bullet, it will not penetrate. So it's not going to make you bleed out, but it's going to hurt a lot. So I felt like this movie was one step away from Crank, where you'd have the health meter, because every time John gets shot, the health meter goes down a little bit, but he's not dead. (laughs) See, this suit ends up really upsetting me, because I figure, okay, they're going to use this once or twice, because they make a big deal, like, you are going to hurt, and even if you have, like, a real bulletproof jacket, and you get shot, you're still going to the hospital. Your ribs are still shattered, you're still, like, barely alive, it's just stopping that bullet from penetrating you, and they're going to do that one time he's going to get hit by a bullet, and then kind of stab but I feel like this is an excuse for the rest of the film to be really lazy. And, you know, that first Wick film, he's dodging in and out of columns and behind cars. Here, he's just taking bullets the entire film. <laughs> yeah, there's a few parts of the, the shootout that's coming up where he just, he's standing in the middle of the catacombs yeah, reloading. He holds like- his sleeve up over his head so his head can't get <laughs> penetrated. Yeah, he ducks behind his coat like Count Dracula at one point. <laughs> there was one very good visual payoff with this tactical lighting, though, where after taking a few shots, he starts to walk off, and then he takes a shirt and kind of shakes it out, and a few slugs fall to the ground. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's cool, showing us that that does work. But you're right, Jacob. Ultimately, what they're doing here is making him an impenetrable video game character at this point. Yeah, which... Look, there's a fine line. I wanted more humor in that first one. I wanted it more tongue-in-cheek. But there was something about the action there, how it was just very brutal, juxtaposed with jokes about losing your dog. So here, they may go too far the other way by, you know, I'm I'm liking when he's getting the guns and, oh, what do you want for dessert? And they pull out the (laughs) knives. That stuff's all good. It's the suit. They overuse it. That is my problem. If they would have used it a couple times, it's fine. But they are going to overuse this suit. Yeah, it is. It's just an excuse to set a rule for the universe so that people can get shot and just shake it off. And I don't know that that is a great choice. I agree with you there. It could have been more impactful pardon the pun if he had to dodge more and be more tactical i actually got an email at the show did you read it during the movie (laughs) (laughs) one of our listeners is an ex-fbi agent was in the fbi for 25 years as a firearms instructor and he said that 
the first movie, the tactics that you complained about, Jacob, were exceptionally real world. Keanu really knew how to do everything he was with the guns. And I don't know if you guys saw that YouTube video that went kind of viral after the first movie. With the dog getting revenge? No, with uh, Keanu using real ammo to train for John Wick 2. And he said this is the stuff that gets gun guys really worked up. And I think that that has to be a little undercut the second movie that now gun guys are watching people get shot and just keep walking. Yeah, no, I said that with the first one. It felt very tactical and like that is how you actually would hold a gun and and that. It just took away some of the what I thought should be a little bit more tongue in cheek and humorous. But yeah, they, they stuck with that here. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, because we're still not going to get to a gun scene. He goes through the catacombs. He's going to place all these guns he's bought. Uh, do you guys feel like this movie's lagging? Like, we had this awesome opening scene, and now I, I feel like the first hour of this film, nothing happens. Uh, I think it's edited well enough that it's keeping me in it. I mean, we just talked about the gearing up montage. I think that kind of reinvigorated me back into the story. And yeah, it's going to slow down slightly here while we get into the exposition of John getting to his goal how long does it take Gianna to like go through this crap? Like they they just, her monologue was too much. This is stuff that could be cut throughout the film. There is one scene where she's meeting with somebody discussing how she stole his land or something. Yeah, I don't even understand this part. Yeah, is this going to come back? Is he going to be a bigger player because by killing Gianna, it's going to incite this? I'm guessing that's just there to show us, hey, Gianna's not a good person, and so when she dies, we're not going to feel too bad. We know that, though. <laughs> we know she's bad. <laughs> like, she sits on the table of, of crime lords. We, I don't know. It gets confusing because we'll see that character again at the end with Santino, but it, I don't know. Maybe that's part three or four. He'll come back, whatever this land deal is they're talking about. Yeah, he's going to come back as Black Panther. yeah i wasn't that stuff that could have been cut i had no problems with the pacing of this film though because i'm wondering we're seeing this crazy party in the ruins of rome with this giant stage and some guy who turns out it's tyler bates the guy who did the score playing a bass guitar with a bow like it's a violin (laughs) john's setting up all these weapons and he's going in to do this hit and so no i'm excited to see how this is going to go it's supposed to be an impossible task john says he can't do it and i didn't know if when he was saying he can't do it it's because she was going to get a seat on the high table and that was a death sentence anyway they never discussed that really what they he i guess was saying is it's an impossible job and so seeing him go into this made me wonder how much danger he was going to get into besides He's being followed this whole time by who I at first thought was a young Edward Furlong. It turns out it's Ruby Rose. <laughs> I, I got a question because you guys watched all those Resident Evil movies, and I know she showed up in at least one of them. Does she push her lips out like that, or is that just like her natural resting face? Like It feels like she's just pursing those lips this entire film. Like All I could focus on are those lips pushed so far out. <laughs> That's kind of her natural face, and you know what's weird is... My introduction to Ruby Rose was in Orange is the New Black, and she's been on that for a season or so. And I think there she's, is is she an Aussie? Is she Australian? Yeah. There she's able to use her, her regular accent. And every movie I've seen her in since, she's putting on either an English she accent. She might be using her accent here. She's a mute. <laughs> but here she's mute. 
And they keep putting her in weird costumes where it's just not showing her her natural beauty. Here, they really tomboyed her up. Like Arnie said, she looks like Edward Furlong. I, at first, in the background, I'm like, who is that person? The hair. the Just a hair in the front made her look like Edward Furlong around the time of Pet Cemetery 2. Then I thought it was Duff. Remember Duff, the VJ from MTV? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Finally, it clicks. Oh, yeah, Ruby Rose is in this movie. That's who that is. Uh, the costume designer did her no favors with putting her in the suit with a collar, but she just looks like a 12-year-old wearing his dad's suit to a funeral. I mean, it just, it was ill-fitting. Her neck disappears into that collar. This whole character, every time I saw her, I just kind of had to laugh. She was a little bit on the ridiculous side. Did they ever say her name according to IMDb and Wiki? I never got an Aries out of this film. <laughs> I was going to ask you that where you got Aries from. Apparently it's in the credits. And Aries, of course, the god of war. So I- Yeah, we'll, we'll be revisiting her, I guess, in... As the villain in the Wonder Woman film next this year, I don't think that's played by Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose oh, has okay. had a that's big month, jo- though. I mean, that's not the John Wick universe. I'm gonna <laughs> say of the three movies Ruby Rose had out this month, and I've only seen two of them. This is the best. I mean, she was in Triple X, which I've heard nothing good about. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> she was in Resident Evil, and she was in this. It's a big month for her. But yeah, she's lurking in the background, and again, what what takes so much away, like John Wick is going to assassinate someone who doesn't even assassinate. Like, he gets to Gianna, and she does this whole, like, strip tease, getting in the bath, and I go out on my own terms. And she pulls out this knife, and I'm like, oh, she's going to go after Wick. But no, she just cuts her wrist, and look... I think this is the first film where I've seen they they do it accurately. You got to go vertical instead of horizontal across the vein. The so more I, you I, know, I, now playing, yes. telling you how to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you've given me like this long build up to get to Gianna, and then she's just going to kill herself. You got to do it, though. I was wondering, how do you keep us on the side of John Wick? You've got this woman, and yes, we have that she's scene. She's a crime lord! Shoot her in the head! I'm not, I haven't turned sides yet. Well, John has <laughs> never killed a woman. We have not seen him kill a woman at this point. I wondered if he was just going to go completely brutal and just assassinate her, shoot her in the head. I think this is the safe move to make us not dislike John and it also did harken back to Willem Dafoe last time when he said he's going out on his own terms here she goes out on her own terms he holds her hand it makes John seem like more sympathetic I don't want him more sympathetic I want him more cold-hearted I guess I like that John Wick where we saw him in the first film where like loses his wife loses the dog loses the car it's just something clicks and he's gonna go brutal to try to humanize him. I, I do think that is the wrong move. I mean, look, I, I guess they got to do something because he doesn't have the dog with him. Even though that dog's still alive, he's left at the Continental in New York and will not be seen until about the middle of the film. Well, and also, we've never seen John Wick at work as a hired assassin. This is the first time that we see him doing something for somebody else, and he didn't want to do it from the get-go, and we learned that he knows this lady, and he is conflicted. So I, I'm okay with her doing herself in. I have to question, though, why did he shoot her in the head once she she went down? Was that in case somebody ever asked if he had anything to do with it? Or was he putting her out of her misery? I didn't understand that. That's what I was guessing. Like, the Santino's like, no, uh, she slit her own wrist. Therefore, you're still in servitude for me because you didn't kill her. I don't know. I just took it. Okay, he has to put a bullet in there so he could be connected to it. That makes sense, I guess. But it was barely, barely <laughs> makes sense. But... <laughs> I took it as he always ends with a headshot. 
So I figured he was just continuing that pattern. What's even more disappointing than him, all this buildup and him not doing the job, is that when we do finally get some action, again, I feel like it's been a while, and that's what people want in a John Wick film. Oh, we're going to replay that club scene. We're going to have the thumping techno music. And yeah, it's outdoors and the ruins in Rome this time, but it feels very much the same. I don't feel like they've added anything to this shootout as he's going through, again, this outdoor club and trying to get to the catacombs. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much the same idea as last time. I guess, you know, we were gun guys. This is where we would start to pick it apart a little bit more. I feel like there was more violence in this fight. There was more. Yeah, like he pulls a guy's head back at one point and like shoots him through the head. And I mean, yeah, there's some good, again, headshots. That That's what happens in a Wick film. Yep. And way more exit and entry wounds. Like, I don't know. I don't remember seeing that many holes in heads in the first one. Like, I think they like cut away or the guy fell out of frame in that first one. Here, I'm seeing exit wounds on screen quite often. Yeah, there's a lot of splatter in the catacombs. He shoots that one guy in the head, and we actually see the blood go against the wall. Last time, there were a lot of headshots, but it didn't feel like we were watching a Gallagher show. Here, it's getting a little closer to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that last film, it did feel all CGI blood. I feel like they had a few squibs on set for this film. And yeah, we find out when he gets to the catacombs that... Ari's, Ruby Rose's character, has been sent, Santino wants John Wick dead. He wants to cover all his tracks. And again, here, here's my problem, is I don't mind the double cross. I'm expecting that. It feels like Ari's here has unlimited troops. Like, they don't establish how many people there are. So the fact that they just keep coming, I don't know how if I should be worried about John, if he's got to kill three people, or if there's a whole army. But this is where I feel like they really push the credibility where I feel like this is a character that could end up dead because he's got that bulletproof jacket and he's just standing in the middle at times while people are on both sides shooting him. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He's just standing there and like, Oh, a bullet. I better duck and continue on. <laughs> I love though, the scene in this catacombs where John, like he's out of ammo. So he has to use the gun to pin a guy. I'm like, is that a bayonet? What's he doing? He's just holding him down with it while he reloads. While and he then loads. That was great. Yeah, again, there are moments that I like in these shootouts, but I'm not getting into the shootouts as a whole. Oh, I'm I'm into it the more he does stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm still liking it. But I, like Jacob said, without knowing the total stakes of how many people there are, it is a little hard to know what the end game is. So, yeah, I'm I'm just feeling like it's a video game. Are they respawning? I can't tell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think I know what John Wick's real weakness is cars because Cassian played by Common he's the bodyguard of Gianna when he finds out Gianna's dead he's able to just like drive up and like nail John with a car and like take him out of commission and I think that's what happened in the last film too they use cars so much here and you think that John's gonna make it I mean he fought off Cassian there was a great camera shot the two of them standing amongst the crowd and it felt like we were watching an old western like a quick draw showdown between the two of them and he escapes Cassian fights Ares and her men escapes that and yeah Cassian shows back up with the car they fall down three flights of stairs all right kind of (laughs) obvious that it's common and Keanu's stunt double because we get to see Common's face we never see Keanu's face but (laughs) I I guess if you're a stunt man directing a film you want to throw people downstairs but yeah we get a deuce ex continental here like they're fighting and they happen to crash through the window (laughs) of continental Rome and so they got to stop 
I don't think that's an accident. I think John was trying to get back to the hotel anyway when he was attacked right outside. And I love the two of them on the other sides of the car. They're like three feet away from each other trying to take pot shots. Yes. <laughs> Did you guys notice the longer this fight went on? Because it was it was a good three, four minute fight. It goes on a while. Yeah. The score has completely left and we are just left with two men grunting and hitting each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was almost shocking. It almost pulled me out of the movie. I'm like, oh, geez, that's a lot of Keanu grunts. Especially when they're <laughs> falling down the stairs. Just, uh, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I liked, though, you say it's Deus Ex Continental, but the fact that once they're there, we've seen what happens to Ms. Perkins if you break the Continental rules. So they're just going to sit there and have a drink. I kind of thought that as Wick said Hey, Gianna was actually, I was ordered to do this because I had a marker, it was her brother, that Cassian might team up with John and that they might both go against Santino, but it's not going to go that way. We just get this tense little discussion between them as they have the drink. I think that they're setting up here both a past friendship and maybe a future one. And I think it works. I mean, I'm enjoying the character of Cassian here. He exudes confidence. He exudes professionality. He shows that loyalty is important to him. It's the second time we've had a character named Cassian in three months in a movie. (laughs) It's a popular name all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm liking this. In the last movie, we were surprised to learn that John Wick understands and speaks Russian, which I think was a powerful way of kind of thrusting us into this world without giving the game away. And they want to do a callback to that. But as this conversation ends, he turns and Ruby Rose's Ares is sitting there and we find out that John Wick can understand and do sign language. And I just don't think that's as effective as the Russian thing. See, I, I kind of laughed at that, just that he's going to know any language. He, he's an international hit, man. Uh, yes, it's goofy. It doesn't make sense. But look, I'm looking for stuff to like during this first half of the film because I'm bored. I was really down with him knowing sign language. I was more surprised that they let Ares into the Continental. She didn't seem like that caliber. She seems like a total henchman. You know, it's, I thought the Continental had class. If you got gold coins, they let you in. But look, I'm in Red Arrow territory for this first half. But when John gets back to New York and Santino, like, calls up the old-timey switchboard ladies and asks for accounts payable, and they're using those vacuum tubes to process this $7 million hit, and then they're using, like, an old modem to auto-dial every hitman in New York, and I'm like oh, they're just going to go Warriors on this film. Like, it's just going to be every hitman in New York looking for John Wick, and he's got to do whatever and try to make it out alive. I'm like, I'm liking this. Like, this is the right tone for this weird hitman world for me that they set up in that first film that, yeah, the the, the tattooed... (laughs) switchboard ladies and flip phones and all that i was looking because i don't know if you guys know the suicide girls you know the tattooed models and things the borderline porno yeah yeah they do burlesque and yeah some topless photos and things i've interviewed a few of them I thought that maybe they got the suicide girls in here to be these operators because they're all these heavily tattooed but yet bombshell like 40s looking girls and that really felt suicide girl to me and this old timey switchboard where they're actually plugging things in (laughs) and i mean it's again back to the matrix because john got a call on a really old timey (laughs) landline because his cell phone i think he goes to watch the video of his wife and he may not have been penetrated by the bullets but his phone sure was and oh i hope he has that video backed up to the cloud 
you can still pull it off. It looks like only the sh- screen was shattered. So. <laughs> okay. But yeah, he, I'm liking that we're now seeing this is where you place your hits. And you, we thought Vigo was going guns out with 2 million and 4 million if you do it in the Continental. Well, Santino, 7 million for John Wick. And they do that editing technique that they did when John was suiting up in Rome, going to the bookstore and then the gun place and then the tailor. They do that here, but with different hitmen. We get a lady playing the violin for money. We get a, like a sumo wrestler. <laughs> we, we get all these different characters. And like here, if you're going to upstage that opening scene, this is doing it for me because, again, it's tongue in cheek. You know, the lady's going to pull out a gun while she's playing the violin. <laughs> that sumo dude's going to like clothesline him. And John's got to do two headshots on him. We're going to see pencil kills. Yeah, I, just, I love that every single phone in the Continental goes off while John is there. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. He goes back. I was confused. I didn't realize he made it back to New York alive and that all these people getting texts were in New York. And again, this is when I realized Street Fighter was on the brain because I'm referring to that sumo guy in my notes as (laughs) E-Honda. This is going to end up being my favorite sequence of the movie. I mean, from the very showing us the existence of this switchboard room, which I love, to the inner cut of John finding out that he is enemy number one out there. And like Jacob said, they go back to that editing style where we see the beginning of a fight and we see another part of it, but then before the whole thing's over, we get to see how it's all resolved with each of these individuals. This is where I got confused again, because he's fighting the violinist, and she throws him, and then it looks like he's being thrown into the sumo wrestler, and so that fight's happening, and then the violinist actually shoots him. She puts that gun right into his stomach and plugs him twice, and that's the first time we see John Wick bleed. Right in that same spot, too. Like, that's where he got hurt in the last movie, too. He keeps getting hit in that lower right abdomen. And then... He runs into Cassian at a subway station, and that's when I realized they're back in New York, because you get the MTA announcements, and I started going nuts, because they really whitened that station. It's so bright, so white. I'm like, what station is this? I'm starting to look it up. It was a Z-Line train headed... I think this is actually the Bowery Street station, or supposed to be, because the next stop is going to be... Canal Street. I mean, it's just, I actually pulled up an MTA map after leaving this movie because I'm going to be there in two days. I'm like, all right, which stop are they at? I've been at that stop. It's not that white. I was going to ask you about this, Arnie, because I know you go to New York once or twice every year. And yeah, we get John. He kills two people with a pencil. I was hoping they were going to upstage it and go for four because we've always heard about three. But those two pencil kills, that's when the like, I turned away from the screen and like that that's like when the violence got too much for the crowd and like people actually gasp like those are pretty nasty one through the back of the head and ugh. oh my audience actually applauded at that they were really into it this is what they wanted I had a bunch of bloodthirsty motherfuckers in that theater with me <laughs> no I, I feel like we want to see pencil kills at some point with John Wick but I I was gonna ask I'm like are they in a museum of modern art this is so white and so clean and to find out it's actually a subway station the fact that it was mul- multi-level and they were walking next to each other just very taking pot shots at each other nobody dodging i love that cassian and wick like they they got their guns like in their jackets and every once in a while they shoot (laughs) at each other to try to hit them like i I like all this absolutely my favorite scene of the movie right there the (laughs) casual gunplay with the silencers are just pew pew that was killing me that's (laughs) i was fully back in and on board with this movie at that point 
I thought this was the new subway station at the World Trade Center, because that's a really nice multi-level type station. I don't think the Bowery Station is this big and multi-leveled, but you know what? I'm going with it. They actually, they used real MTA announcements. It was realistic enough. And I love when they go at it in the train car, how they like wait a few stops and work closer to each other. And then they finally start going at a knife fight and nobody leaves. You know, they say do not transfer between cars while the train is in motion, but people do all the time, especially the panhandlers. But these people, they just sit there and watch Cassian and Wick go at each other till the doors open and then they all run off. That got a big laugh from my audience too. <laughs> But yeah, Cassian is going to come back. He's got a knife in his chest. John says, if you pull that out, it's right in your aorta. So if you pull it out, you'll bleed to death. So Cassian just sits there with that knife in him. He went, I don't know, to the Continental and got one of their doctors. He's returning. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that he died for certain. I think they're leaving him open to come back. And there's still more hitmen. There's a couple more guys and... I guess after getting shot twice and after the knife fight, John decides to run because these two don't seem like much but a couple of stunt guys who may have been friends with the director, but <laughs> he's going to run up to this homeless guy, put a gold coin in his cup and get completely covered up by this guy. It is the entry to this underground network of homeless assassins. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I this is where I start getting confused because... I've been waiting for Larry Fishburne to show up in this movie. I saw him in that trailer. I'm like, oh, this looks good. And we're, what, 90 minutes into a two-hour film, it feels like? And we're finally going to get him. Yeah, these homeless people who are assassins or a gang or something. I think they're, like, sending out SIM cards on carrier pigeons. <laughs> what is <laughs> but- that? <laughs> I, I, I like, are they tracking the pigeons? What are with these microchips they're putting on pigeons? <laughs> We, again, for another film, I guess. But yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is the Bowery King. And I had to look up the Bowery. I didn't know what that meant, but I guess that's just a part of New York City. Yeah, it's a, basically a borough, and it's down in the south part of Manhattan. And I did look up exactly where it was. And yeah, there. I mean, the subway took him to the right spot of the city. He wanted to be below 14th Street. Lawrence Fishburne, Larry here. He got this part because apparently he and Keanu, they still hang out. And he was over at Keanu's house and was like, I saw that John Wick. That was absolutely amazing. And if you've got anything in the second one, I'd love to be part of the series. And it just happened. The writer was like, hey, I wrote this part for Larry Fishburne. If we can actually get him, that's amazing. Yeah, it feels like something that was made up for him. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds almost like retroactive explaining because yeah. this whole part of the movie feels like doesn't need to exist for one and it it simply exists because fishburne wanted to be in this movie but fishburne wants to wear a muumu like man this guy ain't homeless <laughs> yeah their idea of homeless is guys wearing eight coats everybody's yeah. got so many coats on and they never break that character and I don't understand, like, this is where I start getting confused, because I'm thinking Hitman, 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 but now Wick is trying to talk the Bowery King into helping him, because Santino now is getting that seat, and what, he's going to try to take over all of New York or something? It starts getting muddy. Like, I feel that first one, very simple, very clean, very straightforward here, as they try to expand the mythology. They want to tell us stuff, but they also want to tell us stuff in a third and a fourth and a fifth movie, so they're not going to give us the whole picture. Let's look at this from two different perspectives. From a plot-wise of Wick needs to kill Santino, what does this provide? 
it gets him a gun. He needs a gun. With seven bullets. Seven bullets, but it gets him a gun. I feel like Wick could get a gun in, in a variety of ways. I, I feel like this is a weird way for him to get a gun. I was like, why doesn't he just take a gun off somebody he kills? And it, he will do that almost immediately because he only has seven bullets here. And it gets him Santino's location. Now, he's been hanging out at this modern art museum the entire movie, so I don't know why Wick didn't look there. But the Bowery King has spies on every street corner panhandling. And so because of that, the Bowery King can take him there through these underground, I guess, through the subway where he won't be seen and get him to the museum right where that is. So that's how it happens with the plot. But there's a whole lot of back and forth about the Bowery King discussing how John Wick once slit his throat and like he did with Cassian gave this guy a choice. You could shoot me in the back, but if you remove your hand from your neck, you're going to bleed out. How he's since risen. Nobody sneaks up on him anymore. He has eyes and ears everywhere. And he is this crime lord that is doing stuff. I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when they go into this locker room and you see people like putting on these coats and they have big machine guns underneath them, like... Uh, it's it's just not working for me because I don't know what this gang of homeless people are supposed to be doing, and it just it doesn't add anything. It's they're not going to come back to help Wick at the end. Like you might expect that, like Chekhov's homeless gang. <laughs> <laughs> well, what doesn't make sense to me is apparently they are successful at whatever game they're playing because he does have this organization. But wouldn't they have some visually financial? gains to show for that like shouldn't they have at least one room that is just ornately decorated to show that this is just a ruse at this point of homeless people yeah because i do feel like the whole homeless thing is their ruse but yeah you're right we never see them you know go into a gold covered room or something to show that this is all just a play <laughs> nope they're literally bringing in hundreds of dollars every week and that's the whole system <laughs> I don't I, I did not understand this but you're right looking at it from two different perspectives from a plot point it, it's unnecessary. I mean, we saw early on that he knew Santino hung out at the museum. Yeah. And if he needed a gun, he could have gone home and broke back into his basement vault and armed up and went from there. But yeah, I mean, he went back and dug out his wife's necklace at some point. So yeah, this is all set up for future movies is what we're looking at here. Yeah. And I think they're just having fun playing with his Matrix stuff. The fact that Morpheus is here and that he's going to be able to put Neo on the path again has people really thinking Matrix there's also a Matrix turnaround because now in this one Keanu gets to say to Larry Fishburne so I guess you have a choice only instead of blue pill red pill it's do you want a war or do you want to just give me a gun and I was only a little bit surprised that they didn't go see some old oracle he kind of <laughs> is the oracle isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he all he needs to do is serve cookies yes <laughs> But I liked seeing Fishburne here. I wish it was more well integrated into the plot. I wish that we said Wick gets help. Why doesn't he get more help from this guy? Why does this guy help him at all? He's in very enigmatic. And again, it's taking me back to the Matrix where I don't understand anybody's motivation. Because on the one hand, he's like, we're going to Applebee's after I kill you. <laughs> and on the other <laughs> hand, he's like, "Here's a, I'm going to give you a gun, but I'm only going to give you seven bullets. That's a million dollars a bullet. Okay. Uh, I don't get what he's doing. I get that Wick makes a very good argument of if you don't let me stop Santino, 
Santino's coming for you. And if you kill Santino, then the table is coming for you. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. That is words that mean nothing to me because we haven't seen what the table means. We haven't seen Santino taking out rival gangs in New York. I think because of what Winston did to Perkins in that first movie, it means something to me. Well, and... As you said earlier, the director and writer are kind of trying to allude to Star Wars here. And the table is basically the Emperor. We have yet to meet them, but we know that they're in control. So it's just yet another thing that they're putting on the wall for next time. And But we got to get Santino. So Wick goes into the museum where he's Santino is, what, being crowned for his position on the table, much like his sister was in Rome. Is that what was going on? I, I couldn't tell exactly what he was doing there he said that the museum housed his father's collection and so it was his art at some point and he's just kind of hung out there the whole time they drop some line about how this this is all people from the table and we see that same dude who gianna took his land away in rome that i don't know who he is or why he's in this film but he shows up again but wick Dude's supposed to be smart. He just walks in. He couldn't sneak in. I mean, he went through catacombs. He went through sewers to get to the Bowery King. Like, he just walks into this museum with only seven bullets, knowing there's a $7 million contract on him, and just starts shooting. This is where the tacticalness of the first movie has just been thrown completely out the window. It's John Wick is now just hell-bent on killing Santino for whatever reason. Like, at this point... I don't know what John Wick's motivation is beyond trying to survive. And it's kind of lost its string here. And it's going to lead to some more gunplay and some good fights. And I'm enjoying it, but I feel like we've seen all of this in this movie already. And they end up in one of the most tired cliches of 80s movies and 70s TV shows. Come on, this was awesome in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> right? I was thinking Enter the Dragon completely, and so was the director. I did look this up. This is not a real exhibit, in case you wondered. But, okay, there's something else I don't know if it's fully fleshed out here, but there's this obvious theme going on throughout this movie. When we first see John Wick, the very first shot of his face, he's half in light, half in darkness, right? They're going for, like, almost the Gemini thing, and... The question is about John Wick's duality, and I get that in this movie, that he's trying to be a family man, but who is he really? They play a lot with mirrors, a lot with reflections. At one point, the writer said that every character is supposed to be some kind of dark reflection of John. I can see that with Cassian, but... Oh, gee, this is so pretentious. I mean, the fact that they call this the reflection of the soul, like, it's not even subtext no. anymore. It is just text. <laughs> I don't know that they actually sell this theme very well. No, they don't. My note is there is no self-reflection here. Like, they're going to say, John Wick, who are you really? You're really a killer. But I don't feel like I've learned anything about the character after this scene in the reflection of the soul. I just enjoy the action scene, though. The only time I found it really was inventive is, first of all, Wick is hiding, like, between some shifting mirrors, and he comes out from there. And the one time somebody gets it wrong, because, I mean, I can tell a mirror reflection from a person, by and large. But one person screws up, shoots the reflection, and so Wick shoots through a mirror to kill the guy who's standing, like, right next to him. <laughs> but... At times, it just got confusing because you could tell that they were trying to get artsy with their filming. They shoot down. The walls aren't just mirrors. The ground 
is a mirror. And so we're seeing the reflection of the fight with the people's feet. And it looks to me like John Wick got stabbed again. And I'm like, did he get stabbed? No, it was just really poor filming. This whole scene is not working for me on a number of levels. You know, the fact that it's a tired cliche, it's confusing for one. And I really knew that the scene was just done for me when Santino starts monologuing over the action. I'm just like, come on. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering, you know, if you've read The Killing Joke, that Batman comic, there is a scene in a hall of mirrors, but like the Joker's monologuing, but he's got like a microphone on on the PA system. I'm like, is Santino just yelling out this whole time and you can hear him everywhere? I think he is. It's, you know, it's a museum exhibit. How big is it going to be? I don't know. I'm very confused because it seems like the exit to this exhibit is also the entrance because they're going to go back to that room to leave you see Santino leave and then Aries is going to stand there waiting for John Wick to leave through the entrance I think it looks the same no they say you are exiting the reflections of the soul they have an announcement <laughs> to let you know this is the exit yeah but it looks like the same as the entrance but maybe that's because everything's mirrors here the way the doors open and everything mm-hmm. it looks the same I love that exhibit I would love to go to that exhibit it feels unsafe because they have staircases with no handrails <laughs> in a bunch of mirrors it feels like you could really lose your footing but it was kind of <laughs> i liked the visuals i thought this was kind of cool the action's the action and at least we finally see aries get killed aries gets santino out of there but then says she's gonna stay and finish it and she gets stabbed through the hand into the heart i liked that yeah i don't know if we see her killed i mean they do a whole hell motif too like the bowery king even says that john is descending into hell and they'll have these weird led flames that reflect off the mirrors when they're in this hall and i like the scene earlier where winston's telling santino that john's gonna come from him and winston's standing in front of a statue of the hindu god kali the god of war yes. there and death yeah i mean there's some beautiful shots but yeah Ares is going to get stabbed again because I don't believe Cassian is dead and he was stabbed in the heart. Like Ares even says, I'll be seeing you. And and sh- her eyes aren't closed. She's not dead when they cut away from her. But she's bleeding out the nose. I got a feeling there's some internal bleeding going on. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that what shows death is the nosebleed? <laughs> I thought that was usually psychic powers. But okay. <laughs> I did get the feeling that they tried to establish that she was dead. They She kind of had one final breath and then she slumped. More so than with Cassian. Cassian was left uh, open as a question. He was smiling when we left him. Yeah. Ares, I feel like they were trying to tell us that she is no more. But I might not like Santino's monologuing here in the reflections of the soul, but he'll go back to the Continental and John's going to go there. And I do love like Santino. He's like, do you know how big this menu is? You could stay here for years and never have the same thing twice. Cause I'm taking it. His plan is to just stay in the Continental because John can't kill him as long as he's there. I thought so too. And again, having seen that first movie so recently, the memory of what happened to Perkins is weighing heavily on my mind. Yes. You do not break the rules of the Continental. And Winston, I like this actor when he's like, John, John, don't do it. John, like, I'm like, oh, like that actually got me tense. Like, is he going to pull that trigger? He was in trouble. He was using his full name. We got Jonathan out of there a few times. <laughs> yes. And the audience really laughed when Winston says, Jonathan, just walk away. And Santino goes, yeah, Jonathan, just walk. Boom. He's killed mid-sentence. Yes. My thinking is he they did that exact same thing last time with the son where he's like, it's just a dog and he gets shot mid-sentence. But my audience acted like they'd never seen somebody shot mid-sentence before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I'm like, oh, so now they have to kill John Wick. That is the rules. Like, they set up at the beginning. There are two rules. And this isn't a movie about the rules are made to be broken. We didn't get some setup like that. There are two rules you live yeah. by. No business on the Continental, and you got to honor the mark. Winston says, without rules, we're no different than the animals. This is, Rules are made to be followed. So I am glad when Sharon shows up, John gets his dog, he goes back to his burned out house, and Sharon shows up. I'm like, this is it. They, John's going to have to shoot his way out or something, but they have to assassinate him. That is the rule. That is the tension here if this film is going to work. Except what Winston says is, if you break the rule of the Continental, you're excommunicado. Not killed, just excommunicated is how I read that. Uh, well, with Perkins, I don't know. Maybe if it's a woman, you shoot him. Like, excommunicado and being killed seems to be the same thing in this world. <laughs> well, he asks, why am I not dead? And Winston says, because I deemed it not to be. Hey, is Winston the old guy from the end of the second Matrix movies who's controlling yeah, this, the whole Matrix? <laughs> I mean, come on. This is total bullshit. This is telling me, oh, the rules are very important, except I could bend the rules. I could do what I want because, I don't know. Why is Winston... If this happened in Rome, would Julius be able to say he makes the rules? Is this a worldwide thing, or is this just wherever your territory is for the Continental? Perhaps. I just took this as Winston has a special relationship with Jonathan. Some sort of fatherly relationship going on here where he yeah, but is... Yeah, bullshit now. That, that is, to me, this is bullshit, that you've changed the rules because I like you. So I'm not going to shoot you. You you have now removed all the tension because it doesn't matter if you break rules. It, it breaks the tension for this movie, which I feel is kind of bullshit because they're setting up yet another movie. And I think that ultimately is going to be yes our biggest issue with this movie is that too many things are set on the table and left for another day. And I can't decide why Winston makes the choices he does. He never says that you're killed, but he says that... You're no longer under the protection of the hotel, all of the services and his agents. So he can't go see the gun sommelier anymore, and he probably can't see the suit maker. He can't go there for sanctuary. But I don't get that Winston is killing him so much as Winston is just telling everyone. He calls those operators and says, in one hour, Wick is excommunicado. And yeah, but don't you get the picture that everyone is going to be going after Wick? The way the phones start ringing. I mean, we see a little bit earlier when John meets Winston in this park. And again, there's some great shots like when, when there's that Hindu god. But here they have like this angel. I don't know. Guardian angel. Angel of death. Uh, it, it, at times they go a little pretentious for me in, the, in this film about shooting people in the head. But They're stunt doubles. They're not mythology majors. <laughs> <laughs> but we see that Winston, like his kind of control, he's able to stay this whole thing so you think these are tourists walking around or residents no these are actually all hitmen i take it and they're all told to leave everyone's a hitman jacob everyone's a hitman well that's what i figure but when john starts running everyone's phone starts ringing i figure you just got to contact the employees at the continental to tell them that john's excommunicado and not to give him safe harbor but everyone's phone starts ringing john starts getting scared starts running with his dog to me this means oh in one you got one hour to hide and then everyone's coming for you like, I do feel like they still put out the hit. But I love it because somebody there has to be getting, like, a text, like, I'm 15 minutes late for lunch. And yet, because everybody's <laughs> phone is going off, guess what? Everybody's phone is always going off. There's a reason we have to put ours in airplane mode before we record. Everybody's phone is constantly making sounds. And so, 
they aren't all assassins, but he is so now afraid that everyone is. And he's running. He's in a suit with a dog. People are looking at him. It's unusual. So <laughs> you don't know who's looking at him with intent and who's looking at him just because they're there. You, you don't take this as he has one hour before everyone starts coming after him to kill him. Oh, like, I do. Definitely. That is the way they've bent this rule. Instead of just shooting him right there, they're going to give him an hour to get into that third film. Yeah, I think that's definitely what's happening here. And remember the end of how the first Matrix film went when everybody's phone was ringing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad there was a, you know, when when Winston revealed that he was in charge of all those people in that plaza I was scared for half a second there that they were going to break into some sort of flash mob dance <laughs> routine. <laughs> but no, it was just to show his his overall power. And now we're left with John Wick completely stripped of everything. He no longer has a dog. Well, he has his new dog, but he no longer has his house, his car, his wife. Now he no longer has the protection of the Continental and his trappings there within. So he is truly a man on his own now. But I like his last line, Winston tell them, whoever comes, whoever it is, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. And Winston's like, of course you will. Like, not even sarcastic. Like, we know you're going to kill them all. That's what you do. <laughs> I wonder if Aurelio's going to break the rule, because even Aurelio gets the text. I wonder if he's going to give him his car back in 2030. I do wonder, but let's see where we want this to go. Justin, Jacob, do you recommend John Wick? Chapter two, Justin. This movie is a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, it looks really nice throughout. The cinematography here is beautiful. The fight scenes are well staged, and I, I'm enjoying much of what I'm watching here. But what this movie is missing that the first one had is this sense of mystery and who this character is. And that's kind of inherent in a sequel. I mean, the first... 30 minutes of that first movie were throwing us into this world slowly and we weren't sure who John Wick was or what his background was and I really enjoyed that but here we're just thrown right back into his life so it's missing a little bit of that element that made that first one kind of special in my mind but beyond that I did enjoy all the action and the little bit of plot that was going on in that first one as well so what we're going to get here is just much more of that. There's a few missteps. There's a few things that I think were overdone, but I can see why they did them. The House of Mirrors really kind of pulled me out, but I can also see why they needed a new visual setting for yet another fight. I mean, they've had fights in a green catacomb. They've had fights in a rave. They've had fights on the street. It was just another way of visually giving us something to look at. But in the end, I did enjoy it again. I'm still on board with John Wick. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend this one. It's not as enthusiastic as the last movies recommend. And I can see in our future that we're going to be getting back together here in a couple years to do part three. And hopefully it doesn't continue the slow downward slope that I feel like the series is on. Jacob. You know, the, the fact that there wasn't as much mystery in this one wasn't a problem because it is a sequel. I, I know who John Wick is. I get what this world is supposed to be. My problem with this film is this is like really the first 
maybe second act of a film that they have stretched out to an entire thing. They have gone Matrix 2 here. This is part of a film that they have made standalone. I feel like as much as I like that opening sequence, you could chop that out. All this stuff with Santino, you don't need a whole film about him because ultimately, what does he matter in this film? I don't know what his stakes are. I don't know what it means for him to be sitting on the table of gangsters. So his death means nothing to me. It feels like... The important part of this film is you get John Wick on his own without the help of the Continental, that he has been excommunicado. That feels like that that's your first act. That is your first half of the film. And then the second hour is John on the run. We're going to get a whole movie, maybe two or three or four or five, all about John being outside of this society. And that is the problem for me, is the pacing of this film, I find myself bored throughout. And there are things that improves on. It does get that tongue-in-cheek humor I think a bit better here when he's getting his guns and his suit. And I love that whole all the assassins going after John Wick about halfway through this film. That is a great scene. But I was bored throughout most of this film and I feel like ultimately most of this film doesn't matter. Like I don't care about Santino. There's no reason to fear him. The Bowery King, huh? I don't know. Dethrone him. He doesn't matter. This film accomplished an impossible task. I thought, you know, you follow that first formula, you do the straightforward. You know, I wasn't totally in love with the first John Wick, but I'm, I'm like, this is a fun action movie. I get why people are into this. This performed that impossible task of turning me against this franchise of just being bored. And yeah, there's a lot of shooting. You know, th- this director, he worked on the Expendable films. And if you've seen that second one, there is a scene like where all these old action heroes are being shot at and they're, they're just, they can't win. And Chuck Norris literally just walks onto the set with a rail gun, shoots all the bad guys, and then walks off the set. And apparently people love that. They thought that was funny. If you love seeing guns go off and just going into people, this film might work for you, but I just, I find the plotting and the story, I, there's just, it ruins all the tension for me. So yeah, this is a, it's a weak one, but it's a not recommend. Wow. Wow. I thought this film was such an improvement on the first. I thought that the action was a bit more inventively staged. I thought that the world building really helped. It was what we all called out in that first film as being so cool that John just had these associates. There was this hotel. We're not going to spend a lot of time explaining it. You're just going to be able to follow along what's going on, that John knows all these people. Here they've taken that and taken it to the next level with it, and now the hotel basically... I think the hotel being a franchise is a metaphor for what this movie does to the John Wick universe. (laughs) Maybe he'll go to Japan in the next one and we'll find out about that Continental. Yeah. (laughs) Do you get like reward points for staying at the Continental? Do you get free nights? (laughs) Yeah. What is the rewards? Yeah. (laughs) Program. Free upgrades. But I thought that there was so much going for this movie. I liked that they brought John Wick back in. I liked how they had the idea of a marker. I really thought that's how they were going to resolve this. As John Wick, he got into the trouble by cashing in a marker. I thought he might give another marker, but I like what he said to the Bowery King as, you don't want me owing you. So there was so much of that that was fun. I liked seeing Wick back, and I like how this ends, making me want that third movie because Wick is on the run. He is stripped down now. I kind of thought a Wick duology would be enough when I was going in. I walked out like, I want to see even more of this. I want to see more of Aurelio and more of Winston and how this all pans out, and the action was just a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of it, 
But the knife fights, the gun fights, the reloading when you're on top of a guy, it was a little Deadpool-y, seven kills with seven bullets, but I enjoyed that. I just thought this was a really fun time at a movie. I thought this elevated the first one. It's a pretty solid recommend from me, and I hope they do three. Now, the writers have said they have ideas that they kind of tabled for parts four or five. Keanu's like, I have a third one in me. Keanu's 52 years old. He said that it's a little harder to do some of the jumps. He still did 90% of his own stunts in this, he said. But he's up for a third one. If the box office gives the studio the willingness to do a third one, he's up for a third one. And I would like to see that. I would like to see this be a trilogy. I don't necessarily need (laughs) John Wick 7 where they're continuing to drag it all out. I think the next one where they can just tie it up a little bit... And they said if there is another one, it's not going to be the next day. They said that they may pick up after he's been on the run for a couple of years. So if the next one comes out in 2020, maybe it'll actually take place in 2020 versus this one in 2014. Yeah, I I think the conceit for that third film, John Wick, Excommunicado on the run, doesn't have the resources he has in in these films. I think that's a good one. I just wish I didn't have to sit through this one to get there. I feel like you could have got to that one in a second film. So I'm not totally against that idea. Yeah, I, I think that's a good premise. I, I just wish this wasn't the road to get there. Well, I can see my opinion of this film changing based on how this series ends up. I'm with Keanu. If there is just one more and they wrap this thing up, then I'll probably be less harsh on this movie if the things they set up here are fruitful in the next movie. But if they, like Arnie said, if they go into John Wick 7, I could see myself start disliking this entry a lot more <laughs> in the future. I think this entry will always just be fun for what it is. I don't want them to bog themselves down in mythology. I want to see them give John Wick a reason. Give him yet another... If we're picking it up a few years from now, what is it that's going to happen to him then that's going to make that be the story? That's what I'm anxious to see. I hope they bring it back to a personal thing. I hope they don't give him a girlfriend because we've been through. He's got the wife thing. They always do that. Remember Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon? Like they started off, he's going to kill himself because his wife's dead. <laughs> and then by the third one, he's dating Rene Russo. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> Maybe in the fourth one, he like raids Apple because he knows they have a backup, even though he didn't have an iCloud account. <laughs> The one thing I'll say I don't need, though, and maybe you guys do, probably not Jacob, John Wick, the TV series. No. Is that what they're planning on now? Uh. They are planning on it. It got me thinking about the transporter. Remember how they did a transporter? They were doing a trilogy of films. I thought about the transporter a lot during this film. Yeah, they did the trilogy. (laughs) Then they tried to do that TV series that really sucked. And then they tried to bring it back with a different actor as a prequel. And that really sucked. What? they said was they thought about for the second movie making it a prequel and telling us about John Wick's impossible tasks. Mm. Well, they decided not to do that. They want to continue the story of John Wick in the future. Is that because Mission Impossible is already taken for a title? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you don't want it to be like Harry Potter, John Wick and the impossible task. But since they had these storyline ideas for a movie about that impossible task, Lionsgate is now very interested in doing a John Wick prequel TV series that I guess would have Santino as a character and Wick as a character telling about the impossible task he had to do to get out of the series. You know, this franchise, 
it had a few good things in that first film. I feel like they're, I don't know, maybe this is just how Hollywood is now. I, I was fine with this nice cut of meat, and now you're trying to serve me 17 courses, and I don't want it. I'm, I'm stuffed. Yeah, you're right. It's a good enough meal, but I don't need to see how the cow was slaughtered to get to the table, <laughs> you know? I kind of like the big question mark of the impossible task just being mythological. I didn't need to see him kill with a pencil either. I just need to know that he killed with a pencil, you know? So I don't need to see this impossible task. Sadly, if they make it, I feel like I'm now obligated to watch it because I am a John Wick fan after watching these. (laughs) And I'll need to say what happened on that TV series if we come back for part three. But, you know, early estimates are this is going to do well this weekend, a $30 million weekend. It cost more than the first one, but that's still a very solid opening. I think we'll probably be back 2020 discussing John Wick 3. But what about next week? What will we be discussing? Ah, we're going to get away from guns. No more guns, no more bullets, right? Because we have a return to David Lynch. I guess there are quite a few guns and bullets in David Lynch films. (laughs) And next week, certainly some people get shot in Blue Velvet. If you haven't seen that film, it's kind of like Twin Peaks in a lot of ways. You see it, you're like, oh, Twin Peaks could be Blue Velvet, the series. Kyle MacLachlan investigating a murder in small town America. But with Dennis Hopper, it gets a lot darker than Twin Peaks ever could. (laughs) (laughs) And our Podbean patrons have already had a chance for those at a certain level have had a chance to hear it just one of the benefits of being a patron yeah and if you support us at ten dollars a month or more you're going to be getting a bonus review we've decided what that is coming out in late february or very early march those patrons are going to get to hear a review of the warriors clink 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 we talked about it during the first john wick film (laughs) we're going to be talking about it during twin peaks Stuart just hasn't stopped talking about it for the eight years he's been on the show. We are finally going to review the Warriors. Truly, Warriors is his real genius. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we'll discuss real genius at some point in the future, too. I know Stuart's actually pitched that idea, so maybe. (laughs) But speaking of donations, starting a week from Friday at nowpeakingpodcast.com, now peaking begins. Stuart, Jacob, and I looking at every episode of Twin Peaks. In fact, it's really weird, Jacob, that we're reviewing a movie. I thought we just did TV now. I know. it's it, Watching episodic television is just a different mindset than watching a film. Except maybe in this modern day, that was my complaint with John Wick here. <laughs> it does feel episodic. <laughs> we have a review coming out every single day starting next Friday at nowpeakingpodcast.com. The first one, the review of the pilot, is going to be on the Now Playing feed. That's going to be free for everyone. The rest of the episodes, 99 cents a piece or $29.99 for a season pass that's going to get you over 40 podcasts counting the new Showtime series coming this summer. Here at Now Playing After Blue Velvet, we're going to do a couple weeks of the wolves. We're going to go back to Stephen King with Silver Bullet. Another connection to Twin Peaks. Big Ed's going to appear. Yeah, he's a priest there. And then we're going to have a wolfman of another type the next week. I'm excited. Logan. That, oof, those trailers look so good. Yeah, I have a lot of hope for that one. Kind of wish I was going to talk with you guys on that one. Well, I'm sure you and Marjorie and I will be discussing it over at MarveliciousToys.com. That's right. We have another outlet. And then we're going to be doing six straight weeks of David Lynch as we go through Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, Fire Walk With Me, The Straight Story, 
And of course, we've got a lot of theatrical releases coming up. Fate of the Furious. Jacob, I got to get your reading on this one. I know you loved like part six with the tank. How are you feeling about this one? (laughs) This one does have a submarine, so (laughs) it may be good. (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Wonder Woman. We got two TV movies leading up to Gal Gadot. There's two? (laughs) Oh, you found another one? I knew... I knew there was one. Didn't you know Kathy Lee Crosby from the tampon commercials was almost Wonder Woman? <laughs> I, I thought we were done with bad DC TV movies, but I guess you dug up a couple more. <laughs> Just wait till we get to The Flash. Oh, no. We're going to have to watch that thing. <laughs> and Justin, you'll be back with us on the donation series in just a couple of months now. The Pirates of the Caribbean Caribbean series. Pirates of the Caribbean Caribbean series I love it (laughs) I can't wait to figure out which way it's pronounced (laughs) I think the movies and the rides are different so if the ride is the Caribbean the movies are the Caribbean and updates to our Alien and Planet of the Apes series which you can hear those earlier shows right now on Podbean we put up on Podbean last Friday the Indiana Jones series Jurassic Park Westworld, Future World, and Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park for those who (laughs) haven't heard any of our Easter egg podcasts yet. Links are all available from nowplayingpodcast.com. You can always see our schedule clicking on the right side of nowplayingpodcast.com to see all the upcoming movie reviews we're doing. So hold on. It's going to be a wild ride and so many theatrical movies. This is why we really appreciate all our patrons, everyone who's supporting us. We're doing like 30 theatrical movies this year. It's crazy. I did not realize it was that high. Wow. I just hope you guys come out unscathed on the other side of now peaking. That could really mess with your psyches in the long run. (laughs) It already has. Yes. (laughs) Recordings have gotten far more brutal than the TV series, I'll say that. At least we haven't got to the bad parts of season two yet. That's when it's really going to hurt our psyche. (laughs) So, Justin, Jacob, thank you for joining me. And now, no more guns, John. No more bullets. No more guns, John. No more bullets. No more bullets. Just you and me, John. You and me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Well played, old friend. For more movie review podcasts, visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews, including Die Hard, The Jason Bourne Series, Constantine, Kingsman, Machete, the Marvel Comics movies, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. You got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond. You may well find something reaches out and drags you back into its depths. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, The Quentin Tarantino Films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. Let's go to the vault. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. 
backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. You have no idea what's coming. We want to specially thank our Podbean donors of $50 or more, Sean Addison 95 and Mogrim 24. You know the rules. If you don't do this, you know the consequences. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums where you and other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The link to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. Whoever comes, I'll kill them. Kill them all. Of course you will. You can also follow Now Playing on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests where you can win movies and soundtracks. Tell me, Mr. Wick, is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'll try and do the same. Now Playing's John Wick series is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. Now Playing's John Wick series credit narration by Brock. Shall I announce you? Yes, please. The John Wick films and all the audio and music used in this show are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Your descent into hell begins here, Mr. Wick. Do be careful on your way down. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. What do you say? Enough. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We're done, Vigo. We're done. This is podcasting's very emissary, Arnie. Um, you took my one line. Dang it. <laughs> I didn't even do a second one. Okay, I have, I have others. Let me find it. Um. And these assassins are free agents within there. Can you say that again? I don't know. I heard a dog. I heard a bark. I didn't yeah. know. I thought that was Arnie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, isn't the sommelier, the actor, isn't he in Kingsman? I don't think so. I looked him. I looked him up. The sommelier is Peter Serfankowitz, and his personal. He's in Run, Fat Boy, Run, Killing Bono, The World's End. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's where I recognize him from. Okay, yeah, and maybe uh, that stupid. Was he in that? He, he's the voice of Darth Maul in in Episode One. Really? Oh, he was yeah. in. Yeah, he was in Shaun of the Dead. He was the roommate. Yeah. Ah, yes. Thank you. I remember that because when we covered Shot of the Dead, I'm like, hey, that's the voice of Darth Maul. <laughs> John Whisk and the Impossible Task.